0: I acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations, where I am lucky to work, live, and play. Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Everything Economics. I'm your host, Talia Murdoch, and we'll be continuing to talk about healthcare today as part of the larger series. In particular, I'm going to look at who spends the most on healthcare and try to help you understand why. Before listening to this, I do recommend you go back to part one of this series, if you haven't already, where I explain the two models, private versus public, and how they are funded. Now, it is no secret that my preference is to have a completely public healthcare system where everyone has equal access regardless of income, race, gender, need, and location. So I was pleased during my research when I started to learn a bit more that backed up how I feel. For starters, on average, a $1 investment in public health spending returns $1.20, representing a 20% return on investment. This comes from a number of places, including the positive externalities created by a healthy population, like increased happiness and wellness, increased productivity, less time actually sick and in hospital, and therefore more time to learn, grow, and care for friends and family. When we now take a look at healthcare spending per capita and as a percentage of GDP, we will also see that higher levels of spending don't necessarily equate to better health outcomes, which I will go through in this and also the next episode. In the US, a country infamous for its lack of universal healthcare system and dependence and obsession with the private sector, total healthcare spending per capita, so for every person on average, equaled US$10,568 in 2018, making them the highest spenders. This is also equal to almost 17% of GDP, followed by the second largest spender, Switzerland, at only 12% of GDP or $7,317 per capita. This is quite a large gap between first and second place. But what is it that makes healthcare in the US so much more expensive, and does this lead to better healthcare outcomes? A lot of people, myself included, believe that healthcare is so expensive in America because too much time was spent in the hospital, too many unnecessary tests were done, and there were too many specialists and not enough general practitioners. In fact, this is not really true and the nation is more or less on par compared to other high-income countries in those categories. The main things that make the industry so expensive is the cost of administration, pharmaceuticals, and doctors. In 2016, the US healthcare industry spent 8% of its total income on administration compared to just 1-3% for 10 other high-income countries. This includes Australia and Canada. When it came to pharmaceuticals, the industry spent about $1,443 per capita, compared to a range of $400 to $900 elsewhere. Additionally, doctors' salaries are significantly higher, on average over $218,000 a year, compared to a range of 86 dollars to $154,000. To me, I believe this is because investors and stakeholders in the industry who have power, are driven by profits, given that it is predominantly a privatized industry. If this spending led to better health outcomes for US citizens, then perhaps it might make a bit more sense. But in fact, it does not. To begin, only 90% of Americans have health coverage, whether that be through their own insurance plan, one provided by their employer, or from Medicare and Medicaid qualification. This might seem fine, 90% isn't a terrible number, but compared to other similar nations where the coverage rate is 99 to 100%, it is not really acceptable. Also, remember, the US is a big place and this represents about 28 million people living in a high income, highly developed country. As such, life expectancy in the US is the lowest of all countries compared to at just 78 years of age, compared with a range of 81 to 84 years elsewhere. Another measure we can use to assess the quality of the US healthcare system compared to other high income nations is the Health Access and Quality Index. This is measured on a scale of zero, which is worst, to 100, which is best, based on death rates from 32 causes of death that could be avoided by timely and effective medical care. So, if you think of things like diabetes can be treated, certain heart conditions can be treated, there's a lot of things in modern medicine that we can do now to prevent deaths. The common cold and flu would be another thing in this index. So in line with overall life expectancy, the US ranks poorer than similar nations with a rank of 88 compared to 93 in Canada and 95 in Australia. So they are below their peers in a way. The US also has a very slower rate of change, which signals how rapidly care outcomes are improving of just 13 between the year 2000 and 2016, compared with growth of 31 and 37 for Canada and Australia respectively. Given the substantial wealth that exists here, something is definitely wrong. So let's now look a little more closely at healthcare spending per capita in some other countries. Now the data I'm using here is from the OECD and breaks up total spending by government slash compulsory and voluntary. The voluntary spending I think is particularly interesting to look at in Australia and Canada as it indicates a gap in the public care system and is relevant to those two tiered systems I talked about briefly last time. So when it comes to total healthcare spending per capita, Australia and Canada ranked 10th and 11th, respectively, with totals of $3,467 and $3,446 each year. Pretty close all together, and both accounting for about 10% of GDP spending. Now, what I find particularly interesting in Australia here is that $2,528 of those dollars are voluntarily spent on private health insurance or procedures. Using this metric, Australians choose to spend more per capita on their own healthcare than Americans do. There are a couple of reasons for this. For starters, the public system, like in many countries, doesn't cover things like adult dental, physiotherapy, naturopathy, and other extended benefits. So someone in need of this type of care may choose to buy some insurance to lower their overall health expenses. At the same time, Australia does have a two-tiered health system Meaning if you are going to give birth, have elective surgery or get an MRI done on a non-urgent injury, you can pay for it and you can go through the private system, choose your doctor, of course depending on their availability, and essentially skip the wait times of the public sector which are based on urgency and need. This privatisation of healthcare was undertaken by the Liberal Government in the 1990s. Further to this, if you are 30 years or older and have your own private health insurance you get some tax credits and offsets when you complete your annual tax return, providing an incentive for folks to take out coverage. Which let me tell you, while not as expensive as in the US, a single person with basic extra and hospital cover is still looking at at least $80 per month, let alone a single parent with children or a family of four on low income. Plus out of pocket expenses if you don't have 100% coverage for what you need. Fortunately, A two-tiered system does mean that universal healthcare does exist, so everyone has somewhat equal access to care when it's needed. So why would a government want people to purchase private health insurance when the public system is just as, if not better, at delivering care? As mentioned last time, the argument is that this eases pressure off of the public system. But really, it only makes the public system worse. Private system also only offers care that makes a profit. So if you experience trauma from, say, a car accident, you would be going through the public system anyway, where care is not based on how much money the private insurer will pay the private hospital. The private system really only focus on elective surgery and outpatient care. Which is all well and good, but again, all this does is divert resources out of the public system and into the private one that only serves a portion of the population who can afford it. I think the voluntary health spending in Australia simply represents a gap in the delivery of care under the public system that could be offered if these resources were invested more wisely by the government at large in public healthcare. So that brings me to the end of this episode about healthcare spending. Next time I will dive into the public versus private debate and review a study that measures healthcare in low and middle income countries and how the two systems measure up to the World Health Organization standards. As always, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it and have a better overview of how individual spending works. If you did enjoy this episode and want to support the show, please rate and review on iTunes. I would love to hear from you. Or head on over to patreon.com cavegoblins where you can support the network and get access to more weekly content. You can find me on Twitter at Talia Murdoch and follow the show at Every Economics for articles and threads based on the latest episodes. Thank you again for listening. Be kind to each other. I am Talia Murdoch and this has been Everything Economics. Doug Vandelay here for Van, Van on the Cave Goblin Network. Each week I sit down with interesting people from all walks of life to talk about their work, interests and insights. Also on the Van X Van feed, touching base with Talia Murdoch, where we discuss weird and wonderful news articles. That's Van X Van everywhere you find podcasts. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit CaveGoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.